And I think so often we find that the commands of Scripture are not light, are indeed burdensome, because we have not fully come to terms with the reality of our freedom in Christ. He has set you free. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part three of Living the Assured Life from Pastor Paul Twiss. Do we find it hard to obey God's commandments? Is it easy to pray for our enemies, turn the other cheek, and take up our cross and follow Jesus? In today's message, Pastor Paul will argue from 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, that believers can find the commandments of Scripture to be light and not burdensome. Scripture teaches that when Christ saved believers, He broke every hold and bondage of sin indefinitely, never to be reattached. So how does this reality impact our Christian life? Here's part three of Living the Assured Life, and we pick up with Pastor Paul reminding us of what it means to live the ordinary Christian life. We start to buy into the lie that ordinary is in some way subpar, This can't be a meaningful life. All you're calling me to do is love God and love Christians, submit to the word, that's it. There can't be substance and meaning in that. No, no, no. I need to go beyond and go further in order to have a meaningful Christian life. Michael Horton, a Christian author, wrote a book in 2014 entitled Ordinary. Immediately when it came out, I just loved the title, Ordinary, and the subtitle, Sustainable Faith in a Restless World. And he makes the point, rightly so, in that book, that we have to come to terms with the fact that we have all of us been called to live ordinary Christian lives. And in fact, the theological reality is that when you pursue the ordinary Christian life, as John has given it to us here, you're actually pursuing the infinitely significant life. The truth is that when the stay-at-home mom is content to get up, to read the Bible, to delight in Christ, to take in her Savior again, to conform her life to the, the commands of Scripture, to do her best to love the Christians that God has put her in society with, she is living an infinitely significant life. Regardless of what the world says, the truth is when the bank manager goes to work yet again, same old, same old, when he clocks in and clocks out, but he's doing it. When he's being diligent to conform his life to look like what the scriptures say it should look like. When he's busting a gut to love the Christians that God has placed into his life, doesn't matter what the world says, he is living an infinitely significant life. And one day, heaven will testify to that. I'm reminded of the ministry of William Hamilton Burns. You've probably never heard of William Hamilton Burns. And that's exactly my point. He was a pastor in Kilsyth in Scotland in the 1800s. He was described by his son, who went on to write, his father's biography, as humble, 
unobtrusive, loving, and a quiet, conscientious country clergyman. He ministered in relative obscurity, but he did so faithfully and with the utmost perseverance. He experienced great spiritual discouragement in his ministry. He faced personal hardship, and for many years he saw no visible fruit. And yet his ministry has rightly been described as one of beauty, of dignity, of humble Christian service. The assured life is the ordinary Christian life. You are not called to do anything more than to believe, to believe in Christ, to love God, to love his people, and to obey the scriptures. Believe, love, obey, repeat. Believe, love, obey, repeat. And I would say that if you are here struggling with the question of assurance, the certainty of your salvation, it may be because you are not living the ordinary Christian life. It might be that you are not living the life that John has here described. A life of continual belief upon Christ, of refreshing your heart to the truth of Jesus. A life of devotion and love to God. A life of unending love for the Christians around you. And a life of obedience to the scriptures. That might be the root of the issues concerning assurance. Now, at this point, you might contest and say, I've got an issue with that. And John knows you do. John understands that there's an objection. He confronts it head on. He moves to the second part of his argument. And in a very provocative way, he says, by the way, his commandments are not burdensome. Your issue might be, well, it's very well to describe the ordinary Christian life, but it's incredibly hard to live. It's incredibly hard to live out that ordinary Christian life day after day after day with a consistency, a steadfastness that leads me in the path of assurance and fullness of joy. And John knows that that objection is there. And he confronts it head on in a very provocative manner when he says, by the way, his commandments are not burdensome. If you hadn't been thinking of the question by this stage, then you are certainly now. When John comes out with this outrageous statement, his commandments aren't burdensome. Think about what John is saying. Ours is a religion that says, pray for your enemies. And John says, easy. Ours is a religion that says, turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. In fact, quite the opposite. Give your enemy the other cheek that they might strike you a second time. John says, walk in the park. Ours is a religion that says every day you take up your cross, an instrument of death, follow after Jesus in a humble, ignoble way, and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And John says, light, 
No problem. So it really is quite an outrageous statement. And we're forced to ask the question, how may I find the commandments of Scripture to be light? Because I think this is, this is an important hinge point in John's argument, and we need to know the answer. It seems to be that in order to live the ordinary Christian life, we must be able to join with John in some measure and say, his commandments are not burdensome. To be successful in the ordinary Christian life, we need to be able to find the commandments of Scripture to be not burdensome. Otherwise, they'll crush us. Otherwise, we won't be able to live up to the standards that John set. So how is it that we find his commandments to be light? And he explains immediately, verse 4, because for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now that's outrageous. That is anything but ordinary. That is extraordinary. That is out of this world to say everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That is the manner in which you find the commandments of Scripture to be light. Now, what does John mean here? And we have to be careful because all the way through the gospel and in 1 John, he uses the word world differently. I think here he's using it in the same sense that he used it in chapter 2 of this letter when he said, do not love the world. You remember there, he talks about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And so the statement here is that those things no longer have any dominion over you. They no longer have any hold on you. In fact, quite the opposite, you now overcome them. Christian, you must minister the truth of 1 John 5, 4 to your own heart every day. The truth being that when Christ saved you, he broke every cord of bondage to sin indefinitely, never to be reattached. And what that means is that the world, when the world comes upon you, when temptation comes, you are not forced to obey. You do not need to submit to sin any longer. Think about this radical transformation that is encapsulated in the new birth. Before Christ saved you, you could not but sin. You had no option. When the temptation came, you would sin because you couldn't say no because you were in bondage to sin. You were not able to say no. When Christ saved you, he smashed every cord of bondage to sin indefinitely. Now, will a Christian still sin? Yes. Need he still sin? No. You now have the ability to not sin. And I think we will often find the commands of Scripture to be burdensome, to weigh heavy upon us when we forget that truth. So often Christians behave as if they're enslaved to sin afresh, 
as if the cords have reattached themselves and they're now in their pre-saved state such that they just can't possibly say no. I read many years ago of a, a, a story of a, a prisoner imprisoned since his youth, wrongly so, misaccused, imprisoned in a high-security prison for the best part of his life. And the prison was very regimented. It gave him very little freedom. His life was as simple and as basic as it could possibly be. And then eventually the day came about where the truth came to light and he was released. And tragically, he did not know what to do. Tragically, he couldn't live out the freedom that he had been given. In fact, eventually, he asked to be readmitted to the prison because he just didn't know how to do otherwise. And I think so often we find that the commands of Scripture are not light, are indeed burdensome, because we have not fully come to terms with the reality of our freedom in Christ. He has set you free. You are free indeed to obey his commands. And that is how John says his commands are light. That is the key to living the ordinary Christian life. But again, when the rubber meets the road, it's hard. It is difficult. So he goes on and and he understands that there are still issues. And he says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. John is developing his argument here. And what's curious about the second half of verse 4 is that this is the first time in the whole letter when John has used the word faith as a noun. Indeed, it's the only time in 1 John when faith occurs as a noun, normally it appears as a verb, same verb, but normally John employs it in its verbal form, the one who believes, the one believing, everyone who believes. Or, as you know, he loves to talk about abiding, the one who abides with God and the Spirit and Christ and the Word. So why here does John objectify concretize, make into a noun the idea of believing? And I think the answer is because he knows that we are so prone to make the victory that he's talking about all about us. We're so prone to put ourselves at the center of the victory march, to talk about believing as a verb, to talk about abiding involves a dynamic a dynamic between us and the Godhead, and that opens the door in our flesh for us to say it's all about me, or to put it otherwise, to start having faith in our faith. How do you know that you're a Christian? Because I have faith in my faith. Because I've believed upon Christ really well. That's our tendency. That would be where we go if we think upon this long enough and our flesh takes over. We have faith in our faith. And John doesn't want you to have faith in our faith. He wants you to have faith in the object of the faith. It's not about how much you've believed, to what extent you've believed. Jesus says you can have faith as small as a mustard seed. It's about how great is the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is extraordinary. 
It's not about you being big. It's about recognizing the glory, the enormity of the Savior, of knowing that you can have assurance with a mustard seed of faith. This is why a brand new believer on day one can have fullness of joy. It's not about the extent, the degree, how much they've believed upon Christ. It's that they have believed upon Christ and that Christ is sufficient. That Christ is glorious and he is enough. It's that they have believed in the sufficiency of his perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's that you have believed upon those truths at all, that you can have assurance, that you can have fullness of joy. And John wants you to know that the victory that you enjoy over the world has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with Christ. And that is exactly where he leads us in verse 5. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now this logic, the logic of John's argument, came to me in first-hand experience just a few weeks ago. We were out of town in the Lord's providence. I'd been reading First John that morning. It was time for us to return back to L.A. And one of the rules that we have in our marriage for some reason that I don't quite understand, but it is the case, is that if ever we're away and upon our return, Laura packs the bags and I pack the car. That's how we've always done it. Thirteen years ago, it was easy. Now, with many children, it's an ordeal. So Laura packs the bag, and then I get the bags, and I pack the car. And I don't love packing the car, because I'm not very good at it. So I'll go out, and we've got a lot of bags now, and not much trunk space. And so it's like some kind of logic puzzle, and I'll fail, and I'm trying to shove these bags in, and Eventually, Laura will come out and say, that's not going to work. So we unpack the trunk, and then we do it again, and we manage. And then, invariably, one of the kids comes out and says, oh, but I really need my thing right now. Where's your thing? Oh, it's right down there. I can see the corner of it. So we'll unpack the trunk, and we get the thing, and we pack the car. And it goes on and on, and it's an ordeal, and I'm not good at it, and I don't love it. So that weekend, Laura comes in. It's time to go back to LA. She says, honey, would you pack the car? And in an instant, I said, I'd love to. I even said it with a smile on my face. And I caught myself on and I thought, why are you saying that? Why did you just say that? My immediate response was, that's a lie. You wouldn't love to pack the car. And then I just... I just pondered it for a minute, and I thought, no, I was telling the truth. I would love to pack the car, and it's not because I love packing the car, because I love the one that asked me to pack the car. We don't obey the commands because in and of themselves we love them. We obey them because we love the one that gave them. You see, John has led us full circle here. His argument has come full circle. 
We're back where we began with Jesus Christ. How is it that we can live an ordinary Christian life? We need an extraordinary faith, referring to the object of our faith being incredible, being extraordinary, being glorious, being beautiful. And John makes very clear that the more we take in of Christ, as we continue to refresh our own hearts day after day to the fact that he is the Son of God, he is who he said he was, so then we are able to tread out the path of assurance and fullness of joy. And we will keep living the ordinary Christian life until Christ returns. And on that day, ordinary saints will gather round an extraordinary saviour. And in the fullest sense, his commandments will be so light. And God will declare that we have overcome the world. Pray with me to close. Father, we praise you that through the life and death and resurrection of your perfect son, we have become overcomers of the world. Through the new birth that you have gifted to us, we are no longer enslaved to sin, but rather quite the opposite. And as we fix our eyes on Christ, we are enabled to live an ordinary Christian life, the very life you have called us to live, a life of love and devotion to you, a life of love and devotion to our brothers and sisters in Christ, a life of love and devotion to your word and an eagerness to submit to it with very little consideration of ourselves. And we look forward to that great day when the victory will be made clear. When the victory will be made clear, when Christ returns and we worship him as the lamb, as the king, and you will say, you have overcome the world. I do pray for anyone who is wrestling with the issue of assurance, Father, that you would give them certainty concerning their relationship with you, that they would be faithful to follow the roadmap that you've given so often in this short epistle, that they would know confidence and a certainty, and that we all would experience the joy of which John writes when he points us towards Christ, eager that we would abound in grace and joy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Are God's commandments crushing you? Do you succumb to temptation easily? Pastor Paul urges us to daily read and meditate on the truths of Scripture, to let God's Word fill our hearts. The truth is that believers do not need to submit to sin any longer, and that believers can say no to sin. Yet, it is true that Christians do sin, and at times behave as if they are slaves to sin, but God has set Christians free from the bondage of sin. We are called to obey God's commands. But if you're not a repentant sinner, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, 
you have no hope to obey God. However, if you'd like to know more about the good news that God does save sinners, visit our website, TimelessTruthToday.org. Press Broadcasts on the homepage for a free audio archive of gospel teaching and much more. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California, where you're invited to come worship with us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. It's part three in our series, Living the Assured Life. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.